Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 242. This week, we talk with Michael Levan about Octopus Deploy. How to build an invisible PC inside of a desk. A super cool debug visualizer for VS Code. And what's actually in a digital pregnancy test. This week we have Michael Levan. He is a developer advocate at Octopus Deploy and the author of Quality Code with Go, which is available on Gumroad. He's a lover of all things Go, Python, Docker, Kubernetes, and code quality. How's it going, Michael? Good, man. Thank you for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. No problem. I'm looking forward to that conversation. Uh, Carl, we got a whole bunch of really cool news here. Let's get into it. So the first one here is building an invisible PC. Yeah. And I picked this one partially because I know that you would appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had that uh, episode not long ago where you talked about you're trying to build a desk and computing environment that's as clean as possible, you know, hiding all the wires and all that stuff. And I think this guy just kind of one up to you. <laughs> so what he kind of did is, you know, instead of buying a desk like any of us could, he built it. And then uh, he started with kind of an aluminum frame. And then he started l- disassembling a PC and laying it horizontally within the shell of this desk frame that he made, uh, which included like crazy, you know, fans. I think you commented there's quite a few of them. He might have gone like over 20, 30 fans in there. I think the idea is that, you know, the more fans you have, the lower the fan speed you can run at. Right. So I'm guessing that's what he's trying to do there. Yeah. But anyways, once he had everything tucked in there, including, you know, he made uh, things like access panels so he could upgrade certain pieces and stuff like that. He reinforced the spots where he was going to put legs, wrapped the entire thing with an actual wood surface, and then finished it. And when it's all said and done, it just looks like a desk with a screen and keyboard and wireless mouse all on there. Right. Well, his his desk is his PC. Yeah. (laughs) And it's just really ingenious, you know, out-of-the-box thinking, so to say, on, you know, how to achieve, you know, that minimalist experience. Yeah. Have have you guys seen those desks where uh, like I think I've seen them on Instagram a few times, but they're clear and everybody is like putting their PC parts inside of the desk, but you can actually see it. It's like a just like a window almost. That's and it's like all water cooled and lit up and stuff like that. Yeah, I've seen a few of them and I'm like, man, this is pretty sweet. But if I I feel like that's thousands of dollars and I would be so scared that if I like accidentally broke something or dropped something on that desk, that would be it. Yeah, that would be pretty bad. Yeah, what I did, be- I mean, in a previous episode, I talked about this, but essentially I bought long cables and I put my computer in the ceiling in the basement. <laughs> and then the, Oh, nice. And then the cables are just a bundle of wires that run up to my desk. So I have an invisible PC because it's out of sight, out of mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but even with that uh, 
clear one that you were talking about. I can imagine like the next person one-upping that like, hey, it's water cooled, but you know, we've got this various segments where it's like rainbow colored fluids with bubbles going through it. And, you know, <laughs> and there's fish over here. Yeah. And there's fish. <laughs> <laughs> Some people, yeah, spend a lot of time one-upping each other on this thing. Very cool. Okay. Wild. Um, and then the next door here, debug, uh, debug visualizer for VS code. This looks really amazing. Yeah. Once again, this is an extension for VS code. We have a link to the GitHub in the show notes. And even if you don't, you know, use this, go to the GitHub site and check out the animated GIFs that they have that show its usage. Cause it's, it's pretty cool. Um, you know, a lot of us are used to like, uh, big IDEs having pretty good debugging support. But even then, like with your data structures, it might be hard to kind of fully understand everything's going on, especially when there's multiple properties that might interrelate and stuff like this. Uh, so this is an extension for VS Code that um, visualizes your debugging experience live as you're stepping through, but with a variety of different ways. There's uh, different graphs, table views, um, you know, connected uh, graphs, um, stuff like that. And it has pretty wide language support from JavaScript, Dart, Go, Python, C Sharp, even PHP, C++. So some of it's rudimentary, some of it's more full-fledged, but just check out some of these demos that they have there. And I thought most of these were a pretty good actual way to help you understand what's going on as you're stepping through your applications. Yeah, you really got to see it to believe it. And I at first I was like, how the heck are they like knowing what to visualize? But essentially you put an expression at the top in the right panel and then it's able to use that expression um, and basically feed in certain types of data. Like the one is just a line chart, which is pretty obvious. And you basically say, hey, I want you to look at data and use that data array to you know plot the points on there, which um, I mean, that's pretty effective. I mean, it's simple and gets the job done. So what I like about this, kind of like what we were talking about one-upping, I mean, if if this just keeps evolving, we're going to have some really cool visual debuggers. I know like we've had like OzCode on the podcast before and they've talked about, um, you know, sort of this, They're, they do like time travel de- debugging, but like, I feel like there is a lot of cool futuristic things that can happen in the world of debugging. So this is super cool. I'm just like yeah, mesmerized by the pictures me- on there. Sorry. No, oh, go no ahead, I was going to say this, uh, this kind of reminds me of like a better version of like plant UML almost like mm-hmm. plant UML is for uh, creating diagrams and like a, like any type of language, for example. But this is actually like taking like a diagram, for example, and like making it move and, and be all graphical and stuff like that. So it's pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think one of the first examples that they're showing is, you know, they have the code for reversing a doubly linked list and then you see all of the nodes and edges and then as you step through, you see the edges or the lines or the, or the nodes, you know, move and adjust to what its corresponding action is in code. Oh, and like I something see. like this yeah. would be really helpful when you're learning what a linked list is in university yeah. or college. Yeah, exactly. Or this would be even good for teaching it. I, I didn't realize because I'm just like, where are they getting this visualize method? But they actually they literally have it declared in there uh, for the debugger, basically. Um, so that they can, they can visualize it using that. So that's pretty cool. Can you record, I wonder if, uh, like you could record the output directly from in here. Cause I could even see like that they have the one example where they're showing the graph. Mm-hmm. That'd be really cool for like, 
if you're working on like a database or something, for example, and you want to see some like IO or something like that, and you could kind of get like a recorded report, like while you're going through the code, kind of like if you're doing any type of performance testing and stuff like that to take a look at the load. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's I think there's a lot of innovation space here. A lot of innovation yeah. green space, I'll call it. <laughs> For sure. Awesome, awesome. Okay, cool. Moving on. So inter- introducing the half type in .NET 5. Yeah. So the uh IEEE 754 specification defines all different kinds of floating types. Uh binary 16, 32, 64 and 128. And most of these line up to like uh float, double, um so on. Um, like that. But uh, one of them that C-sharp has been missing is the binary 16 implementation, which is now going to be available in .NET 5, known as half. So it will contain one sign bit, uh, five exponent bits, and 10 significant bits uh, for a total of the 16 bits. And then the rest of blog posts really just describes uh what its precision max min values and you know how infinities and conversions happen within this um new type yep and and i was like uh okay why would i use this but the whole point is a save on storage space so it's certain um certain computation where you're going to be storing a lot of these where that's that's an issue so that's an area that i have not been in but it makes sense why that would be an issue for some applications for sure yeah and you know uh, at work recently, I've actually transitioned to an automotive team, automotive focus team, I should say. And, uh, their, uh, storage is extremely sensitive. Yeah. So if, if there's a, if there's a way that you can, you know, reduce it by half, literally the name of this, um, that would be very helpful if you don't need to exceed its limits. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I never, you know, I should have researched this beforehand, but I assume does like, you know, modern databases they i'm sure they have something for this right something that aligns to this whenever you actually store it so that was one thing that i was wondering like only as we were talking about this or starting to talk about that and i would assume that because you have binary 16 32 and 64 even though there wasn't a direct compatible layer that most databases probably have that concept within them yeah, I was just trying to look because there's real. Anyway, I won't look it up, but um, fingers crossed that there is. I think there, I think there is because I think there's the real. There's one called real. <laughs> so, but I'm not 100 sure. So don't don't write me on that one. Um. Okay. Cool. Snake in QR code. Speaking of saving sweet. space. Go ahead, Carl. Well, see, speaking of saving space, this is a a great example of somebody was able to fit a snake executable into a QR code. Wild. So they have instructions. Well, first of all, they have the QR code front and center on the top of the page, uh, their website, but they also have instructions later on um, how to take a webcam so you can point it at your screen and it'll start playing snake. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a link at the bottom too, if you just want to play it. So I'm playing it already. That's awesome. I find that easier. So, so we've <laughs> lost Jason for the, for the yeah. rest of the episode. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> no, I don't know. I've never been like amazing at snake. I, I've seen the videos. Actually, you know what? I don't think the snake doesn't speed up, right? Like in some, I know it speeds up. Oh yeah. And I've seen some of those videos. It's just kind of, what? Oh, you can't even lose. You can't lose this. <laughs> Wait, how does this work? Can I hit myself? Oh yeah. Okay. So you do, you lose if you run into yourself, but the, the edges are not actually edges. It actually, it, it loops around like Pac-Man style. Oh, so I yeah, don't know how but, you feel about that. 
But uh, the largest QR code size um, allows for roughly 2.9 kilobits of binary data. Okay. So they were able to uh, shrink 3.2 kilobits, which is the executable for this, down to 1.4 so it could fit in there. And uh, now it fits. Okay. So that's pretty cool. So what does my phone do with this if it sees it? Does it? Okay. So it no, recognizes it, it. I figure it won't work, but like it does recognize it as to- a QR code. Yes. It doesn't know what to do with it, though. It's just like, yep, that looks like a QR code. <laughs> That's what it's doing. <laughs> it just puts a box around it. That's it. Okay. Yeah, same thing it's doing with my iPhone. Uh, it's just kind of like putting the box there. Like, yeah, I know what this is, but it's not actually yeah. doing anything. Yep, yep. I understand some of those words. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And then Carl, who's looking into digital pregnancy tests, has this article, what's in a digital pregnancy test? <laughs> so I, I thought this was really cool, just from, not from the, you know, it's a pregnancy test. Mm-hmm. Um, however, you know, a lot of us equate digital must be better or more accurate. Oh, yeah. And uh, because of course it is, right? That's the field that we're in. We mm-hmm. love to think that our choices are are the best choices. So somebody actually cracked open a digital pregnancy test. And, you know, it had the typical, you know, like you pee here and then you get a result. Well, how it actually gets the result is um, for those who don't know, uh, pregnancy tests generally have um, either you get one line or two lines that show up Mm -hmm. and that'll tell you what it is. Well, when you take it apart, it actually has the same inside that has the chemical reaction that'll either show one line or two lines. And then it also has some LEDs and some sensors to see if those lines are there. So all it's actually doing is taking the existing test that was analog and putting sensors to read it for you. So it's just a robot that looks at your pregnancy test (laughs) and tells you the result. Yep. Thumbs up (laughs) or thumbs down. Yes. But what's really interesting is um, like when you get into it above and beyond that, it actually has uh, a pretty... Uh, powerful chip that's in there. I mean, it doesn't sound impressive at the get-go, but um, it because it's got 64 bytes of RAM, 1,024 words of ROM, 13 GPIO pins, and it runs at 4 or 8 megahertz. But it runs one uh, instruction per cycle, so it's actually pretty efficient. And, uh, you know, it's got more processing power than, like, the original... Um, Intel chips that were or IBM chips that were available at the beginning of the PC era. So can it run the snake game that we had earlier? So this particular chip (laughs) is the C version of the chip, which means you cannot change its memory. Okay. So unfortunately you cannot run uh, the snake game and you cannot run doom, Mm. but if you could flash it, there's a good chance you could. Wow. Interesting. Okay. So, so we have a way to debug it. We know what we're going to run on it and we have the computer power. (laughs) (laughs) that's a computer okay cool um microsoft's underwater data center resurfaces after two years yeah so i I remember talking about this two years ago Mm -hmm. when it first went under and you know it was uh essentially an experiment to see how well a data center uh put underwater will operate especially considering that being underwater gives you a few advantages uh especially around cooling um, some of the other interesting things now that it's been pulled out is, you know, you have other things in a data center that can happen, like parts fail. What happens? Um, they said in this particular case, the failure rate was one eighth of a land-based data center. 
or what they would expect to see on a land-based data center. So even though this is one incident and you can't take a whole lot statistically out of that, that's still a good sign that um, you know, not only was this something that uh, likely saved a lot of energy, but um, you know, it was designed in a way that was more efficient from just a keeping going standpoint. Well, and they said it was because it was filled with nitrogen, right? So you could do this on, you know, it doesn't have to be underwater um, unless yeah. that had something to do with the thermal conduct conductivity. I, I don't know. Yeah. And it also mentioned about people not banging around. So the only thing that I can think of is just knowing like what cloud data centers and how they're built. Really, most of that is maintenance and security people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's already not a lot. So if that is a significant factor, that just goes to show you removing, you know, that um, aspect of this can really have a, a, another big effect. Well, I wonder though, like if you, if you were actually going to use this as like a real data center, wouldn't you, I mean, like, I wonder what the security, I wonder how you handle right. security. I mean, that's, you have to do something about it, right? Otherwise people yeah. would just drill a hole in it or I don't know, whatever. I mean, it seems like you'd have to, it'd have to be a pretty targeted attack, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah. But at the same time, security can happen around it instead of inside of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Go ahead, Michael. No, I was going to say, uh, I, I wonder if it was actually underwater for two years straight or if they had to take it out at some point to like replace a hard drive or replace a sticker RAM, something. No, no. So the, the whole point is that you don't touch it, right? And in my understanding with the Azure data centers, and I don't think this is like a big secret or anything, like stuff just dies and they just leave it. Um, the cost of actually running around replacing things is just not worth it. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do this one picture in here where they're inspecting the servers after they've taken, taken out. So first of all, the inside, oh, yeah. it, it looks amazing <laughs> probably because it was filled with nitrogen and not touched by anybody, but also <laughs> like there's definitely like feeling a little claustrophobic with like the design there where he's like fitting in the side of the tube around the servers. <laughs> well, and not to mention that's looks like a pretty average dude. Yeah. Um, me being somebody who's a little bit wider than an average You'd dude. You'd be like jammed in there and then they put you Yeah, underwater. I don't think I would fit in there. That's a nightmare. That's a nightmare waiting to happen. <laughs> Luckily, it yeah. I, I'm assuming what they do is they assemble all this and it looks like it slides in and, you know. So I'm, I'm thinking you would actually build one of these, seal it up, plop it in the water. And then in a perfect world, you would uh, be able to harness tidal energy or something like that. That would be really cool. That would be. Yeah. Very cool. I am really curious about like the physical security, like you said. I mean, mm -hmm. like, are there, I wonder if there's like guards around it or something. I mean, there has to be, right? Like anybody could just kind of, I guess, dive in and drill a hole. Like you said, I mean, you would have to be like real, uh, you'd have to like really want it right, <laughs> to do right. it. Cause I'm sure it was pretty deep down, but I mean, it is still possible. I'm just imagining like the dude who puts on like a scuba suit and he's like, yep. You know, <laughs> yeah. he's like, he goes underwater. He's like, he's like going down and he like relieves the, the other guy that was like there, like with his, <laughs> with his rifle, like, you know, patrolling around in his Harpoon scuba suit. Jason. <laughs> <laughs> or no, sorry. It wouldn't be a rifle. It'd be uh what is that? Harpoon. A harpoon gun. Yes. <laughs> the classic underwater harpoon gun uh to protect it <laughs> and this, this is this is not official microsoft information so <laughs> don't get me in trouble okay <laughs> so let's talk about what we're actually here to talk about and uh with my barking dog in the background she's uh it's a it's a it's a bark from home uh, type of thing right now but anyway let's talk about octopus deploy <laughs> speaking of underwater tech 
So what is Octopus Deploy? And uh, just to be uh, totally upfront, man, she is just going crazy. Amazon is delivering something right now. But I have, um, I have encountered Octopus Deploy many times in my career, and I have never really gotten a chance to like really look at it and see what it does and how it helps me. So if you could help me there, that would be great. For sure. Yeah. So Octopus Deploy is a little bit different. So you see a ton of different tools out there that really like encompass both CI and CD uh, for your build stuff, for your testing, all of that. And then you move to your deployment and your delivery aspect. At Octopus, we are specific on deployments and that's it. Um, so we're just 100% on the deployment and the automation side. Um, and the really cool thing about that uh, is that we're not just focused on you know, say software delivery. So if you have an application or, or a Docker container or something like that, and you're trying to deploy to Kubernetes, you're trying to deploy to serverless, we handle all of that, but we also have a section specifically for infrastructure engineers and cloud engineers and systems administrators. So we have one part of the product, which is, you know, like I said, software delivery, and then another part of the product, which is for infrastructure deployments. Uh, and that's something called runbooks. So runbooks are for the infrastructure folks. And then, you know, the continuous delivery and the continuous deployment aspect is for the software delivery folks. Okay. So are you, are you trying to piggyback then on my existing build process or are you trying to take that whole thing over? Yeah. So what we do is we essentially assume that you already have a build server in place. So whether you're using Azure DevOps or you're using GitHub Actions okay. or using Team City or something like that, and then we consume the build. Um, but there are a few different ways to do it. So, you know, once it's consumed, we could either hold on to a package for you. So let's say you package up some Go code and you want a place to store it. You can store it in Octopus Deploy and then you can use that package later or we have something called external feeds. So let's say you have some code that's available in GitHub, like a Go Web API, for example, and you wanna be able to pull the code directly from GitHub without having to build it, just pull the code raw with like a version, like a version one, version two, et cetera. You can do that as well, and then we'll consume that, and then you could put that in your step templates or your step processes, which is like, you know, your, um you know, like your instructions for like what you're going to be deploying to, where you're going to be deploying stuff like that. Like in Azure DevOps, it would be called tasks, for example. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's so, cool. so you mentioned, you know, having, being able to cover uh, CI, CD management for developers, as well as um, management for the kind of tasks that operations is uh, responsible for, you know, what does that handoff look like between those processes? So it, it's funny. It's actually, you know, not necessarily a handoff at all. It's really much just like you're in the UI, for example, and you set up a new project and that new project is going to be safe for either your development purposes to deploy your developer code or it's for your infrastructure code. It's really all in the same place. It's literally just a click of a different option. So you have, you know, a process option, for example, where you can set up your step templates and then you have a runbook option where you can set up your step templates for your infrastructure or you could do both in the same project cool cool i'm just i'm creating an account right now so that's why i'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm a little nice. i'm a little distracted <laughs> no no that this is perfect let's do it live on the show yeah, yeah. so then <laughs> and then carl posted like this cool screenshot where it's like build a tutorial for your stack and there's like five drop downs like first yes. of all that's really cool <laughs> yeah of all, like, yeah that is really sweet. yeah so like i i don't see all the options yet for for all of those um 
uh, for all those stacks, but like what, what kind of support is there in there for each of those? Yeah. So, I mean, from a build server perspective, like we, we pretty much support anything. Um, you know, we, I would say like the, what we see, like the biggest ones are team city and Azure DevOps. Mm. Um, but we also support like Jenkins and stuff as well. We support GitHub actions as well. Um, pretty much like anything that you need to build from, we can consume. Um, in terms of like support for cloud, we do support AWS. We do support Azure and we do support GCP and like pretty much any cloud that you could deploy to actually, cause there's something called deployment targets. And within that deployment target, you could pretty much hit any server that you want to. Um, but we are, you know, we we truly, truly support uh, Azure and AWS right now. And we are working on GCP support and, and other things like Kubernetes and Docker and stuff like that. Okay, cool, cool. I'm just looking through all my, I'm, I'm in here, so I'm just looking through, through nice. all my options. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, and then uh, the really cool thing too is there's a few different ways that you can do it. Um, you could either do on-prem. So if you want to uh, install Octopus on like Windows Server. To no, Steam I did cloud, man. On-prem doesn't exist. Exactly. <laughs> yep, yep. And then uh, and then we were, we, I was also going to say, yeah, so cloud is semi-new. I wouldn't say it's like, you know, a month old, but it is something new that we're offering for like if you don't want to say do on-prem, you could very much just deploy an instance in a cloud. Like, all, like my Octopus deploy instance that I use for demos and stuff like that, it's 100% in the cloud. Okay. Oh, I see what's going on here. Okay. So this is creating me an instance because I had to pick like a URL. I'm like, yes. what the heck am I doing here? Exactly. And then, then, yes. um, then now it shows Octopus Cloud and then I'm able to click on my URL and now I'm on my dashboard. Okay. This is cool. Yes. Now I think I'm where I'm supposed to be. I was a little confused there for just a second. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. You know, it's, uh, it, it's definitely pretty innovative. I think, uh, you know, I think we're seeing a lot more companies doing that now where they're like, Hey, go here and spin up your cloud instance. So it, it definitely is really cool to have that, uh, that, that ability to do that for sure. And it makes life a lot easier, you know, for people like, like you literally just spun it up in like three minutes yeah. <laughs> and, and you were good to go. And now you can start playing around with Octopus. Oh, that was less free. than three minutes. Yeah. It was like, yeah, yeah. less than three minutes. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was definitely cool. That was cool. Yeah. So how easy, yeah. How easy is this whole process then to like kind of get up and running with this? It's pretty straightforward. I mean, honestly, I would say if you are completely new to CICD, um, what happens is like once you spin up a new environment, when you log in, you'll see it. There are actually options on the right hand side of the UI that like kind of walk you through spinning up your first one and it'll give you some notes. And then when you first log in right in the middle, you know, there's options to like create your first project and create your first deployment and stuff like that. So that's really good for both. Like if you're 100% new to CICD or if you're just new to Octopus in general. Um, so, so you can get up and running pretty quick just by following like those tutorials that are in the UI when you first create a deploy or when you first create an Octopus instance. Okay. All right. Now I, I pretty much know that Jason's probably grabbing our code for the MS Dev Show website and he's trying <laughs> to get this working. Basically. So let, let's just say he gets this done. And all of a sudden he has, you know, he gets this set up and it's working great. So he can he can make a git commit, you know, right. you know, builds happen. There's artifacts created, they get deployed, it's all great. Now let's say we have all of a sudden want to spin up another podcast with another site. How easy is it to take like this existing setup? Do I have to go through all those steps again? Or is there like a way that I can just like, yeah, just take that and just change the name here? 
Yep, you absolutely can. So it's actually funny that you say that because uh, we have a we have a series that one of our uh, senior architects do, and they they he essentially like answers questions on Octopus, um, and he puts it up on YouTube once a week. And the one that was very recent, I think it was from like last week or the week before, maybe, is how to copy a project. So yeah, you could literally copy a project with like all the steps and stuff, and then just create and then create a new project for it. Um, that's one way. Another way is you can also export those steps templates. So once you go in and you create a new project and under your deployments, you have your process and stuff. Um, and then within that process, you have your steps or your tasks. And within there, you can actually export those tasks via JSON and import them in elsewhere as well. Like for instance, in another Octopus instance, if you add a few. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So th yeah. this lets you, so I'm just looking through some of your documentation too. So I'm looking at the, there's like a command line tool here. And then I see like .NET Octopack. Is yes. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what's going on there? Yeah. So originally, um, well, if you guys don't know the history of Octopus, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, uh, say, you know, three hours of history, but with the history is it was originally a tool to deploy .NET applications. So we're very, very big in the .NET space mm. and very, very big in the Microsoft space. Um, cause it, it was literally built in the beginning to deploy .NET applications. That was it. Um, and then we've obviously grown over the years. So what that package is that Octopus client actually it's it's a .net package so you could you could essentially do it a few different ways you can either install that octopus command line via chocolatey via brew um aptitude packages and like ubuntu and stuff like that for example but you could also get the raw .NET octocly uh via literally like just a .net package and install that and run that as well that's pretty cool <laughs> yeah and then um so the other cool thing is like if you're if you're in there right now and you go and you create a new project under the project you'll see what i'm talking about where you yeah. have like the deployment section and then the operation section and then there, there's the run books under there yeah what i like too is like i'm under the packages section how to create packages i pick no i actually yeah. pick node.js and then yep. i pick command line and there now I'm, so i'm getting octopack.js which yep, is yep. which is the tool for that and then i like too that it's just like it's giving me some some code here on, on, uh, on how I can actually do that packaging, which is, which is pretty cool. Yes. Yeah, no, it's uh if you look at our documentation and you even like look at the blog posts and stuff, like we all write them internally. There are external writers and stuff like that, but a lot of us, like what we'll do is we'll literally like go through something in octopus and we're like, Oh, that's pretty cool. And then we just write a blog post or some documentation about it or some API examples. Like, uh, we're, we're in the process of building a new go client. So I've been writing a ton of API examples, uh, around that new go client. And those are all up on the site and stuff as well. Okay. Um, what was I going to ask you? I was, I was, Oh, so if I like, when I want to actually like deploy, like I, I have, so our website, we, we deploy it. I'm trying to even think of what the current method is. I think it's on an Azure app service. So do you have like a, an, a plugin for like Azure app service? Yep. Um, and then do you also have one for like, what about just like a static website on Azure? Like, do you cover all those bases? 
Yeah, so I, I'm going to literally walk you through it. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm in the portal as well. Cool. So if you go under projects and you go to processes, for example, you're going to click on add step. And remember, if you're coming from like an Azure DevOps background uh, or a Jenkins background or a GitHub Actions background, just think of steps as like your tasks. Okay. So once you add that step in, <clears throat> what you can do is you have a section that you can say like, what type of step do you want to create? So we have different things under categories for scripts, Windows Server, Azure, AWS, Docker, oh, Kubernetes, all of that. Be. Okay, cool. So exactly. Azure. Yes. Yep. And then you go to Azure and then you'll see a few different things. So the first thing that you'll see is the install template. So you can do things like run an Azure script. So for example, let's say you want to create a new Azure web app. You can use the AZ client commands to do that if you wanted to use PowerShell, whatever you want. Um, and then, so there are a few different installed step templates there, but then if you scroll down, you'll see community contributed step templates and you can see 54 different templates in there. Um, and community step templates are actually really cool because they're literally written by the community. So we have a library of a plethora of different step templates that you could write if you want to, anybody could write and they could commit them up. Um, obviously we do like pull requests and we re we review the code and stuff like that just okay. to make sure that was my next it. question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because if I yeah. pick one of these, like I don't want my credentials leaking or anything like that. So yeah, I see one right in here. Um, copy. Let's see here. Where did it, I just lost it. Upload files to Azure. No, Azure blob storage upload. There we go. Upload files in a directory to a specified Azure storage blob container. Install and add. Boom. Okay, cool. Step name. So blob. Cool. Execute location. Yep. On each deployment target, of course. Da, 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 da. Cool. Oh yeah. Directory, storage account, key, all that kind of stuff. So where does the key get stored? Like it's stored basically in my... Um, in the deployment of the, basically in my like instance of Octopus Deploy? Yeah, so uh, one of the things that you can do that I do personally recommend is under variables. If mm -hmm. you go under variables, you'll have a few different options for the value. So if you go to change type, you have Azure account, AWS certificate, worker pool text, and something called sensitive. So that sensitive value is it like, you know, it encrypts your password for you and it like comes out in like asterisk characters. So you don't see it in plain text and, uh, and you can't like go in and copy in and edit it. So like if you go in and try to edit it, you'll have to type the whole thing in over again. So any type of keys, any type of passwords, if you have like oh, sensitive yeah. API Change keys, for example, cool. you can do all that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, one of the cool things too, uh, since we're talking about it is under where you saw those deployment targets, for example, instead of having like a system for a deployment target, you could, for example, add a deployment target for like the Azure cloud or for a Kubernetes cluster. So you literally don't even have to specify a machine. Your deployment cart target could literally be the Azure cloud service. <laughs> and you could like literally hit anything in there, whatever you want. Wow. So we, we've deployed our website to like 10 different places. Um, but now I could just do that. I could do it simultaneously. Everywhere. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's like the yep, most yep. over, we literally have a static website and like we run it in like AKS and like blob store, like every technology we've ever covered. <laughs> it's been running in. That's awesome. This is cool though. Like I, I put in a project variable, uh, Carl's favorite color. I marked it as sensitive so I can never look at it again. Yep. Um, so now, now I have his favorite color saved in here as a variable. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> Hope you said it correctly. 
I know what it is. Okay. Everybody write in to feedback at MS Dev Show and see if you can guess his favorite color. <laughs> okay. This is cool. Yeah. See, I feel like this really opened up a lot of stuff. Yeah. Th- this has always been, honestly, like a kind of a sore spot for me. The um, I've always used a build tool for doing deployments yep. and it always felt icky to me. Um, and sometimes I would set up a separate build process that was just like, the entire build process was like, Hey, go grab this container and go put it over here. And I really like the deploy, you know, things like, um, um, Azure, the, the web app service, because I can tell the web app service to go just like pull a container from, uh, um, from, uh, from NPM. And, um, I felt like that was a good disconnect, but it doesn't give you a lot of flexibility. So I feel like this fills that gap and then gives you like tons of flexibility. Yep. Yep. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and that's literally our thought process mm-hmm. as well. I mean, like if we wanted to, we could very much put in a CI tool and embed it into Octopus Deploy. But our whole thing is, is like, instead of spending 50% on CI, 50% on CD, mm-hmm. we want to be able to spend 100% of our time purely on deployments. And that's, that's it. Awesome. And, and, and the thing about deployments, like people, you know, kind of forget too, is like, there is so many different things that go into deployments because it really depends on where you're deploying. Like, are you deploying to Azure? Are you deploying to G- uh, AWS? Are you deploying to GCP? Are you deploying to Kubernetes? Are you deploying to on-prem infrastructure? Are you deploying to stuff in the cloud? Are you deploying infrastructure? Are you deploying software? Like there are so many different things that go into it. So having the ability to spend 100% of the time on it is obviously really awesome. Yeah. And this has been like really responsive. And by the way, like I didn't, I didn't pay for anything. Don't tell anybody. Uh, <laughs> but like I noticed when I signed up, you know, the, like there was a free option. It's like up to yep. 10 something. I don't remember what it was. Targets. Yep. 10 deployment targets. 10 deployment targets. Yep. Um, yep. So what is a deployment target exactly? Yes. So a deployment target could be a few different things. For example, a deployment target could be a Kubernetes cluster. A deployment target could literally be Azure itself. So like I have stuff set up where I have a deployment target to literally point to Azure and I could do anything I want in Azure. I could deploy to anything I want in Azure, write any scripts I want in Azure, do any infrastructure stuff in Azure. Um, A deployment target could also be like a server, like a Linux box or a container or, uh, you know, anything like that. Windows box, anything. Okay. So 10 is very generous. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, And the other cool thing obviously is like, you know, no, no credit cards required. So like, you don't have to type in your credit card number or anything. Yeah. It's literally just, you know, go crazy. (laughs) So you said, you know, it can handle anything in the cloud, but like, even like if I have an architecture that has like all of the weird stuff or, you know, less standard stuff, like maybe I've got some Kafka over here and I need a WAF and Mm -hmm. event hubs. And maybe I have IOT edge in the mix, like all of that is out of the box capable with octopus deploy yes so when when you say out of the box here's how i would define it out of the box means like you know it's able to work without any extra add-ons or plugins which you absolutely can so let's say there isn't a step template to do something right let's say like let's take your iot example let's say there isn't a step template to do that well you have two options you could either for example run sort some sort of script or some sort of code to say create that for you create that service for you or you could even create your own step template and say, push it up to the library for other people to use. So even if there's not a step template specific, like for you out of the box, there are very, very easy ways to make those things happen. So what, what does a step template look like then? 
Good question. I'm happy that you brought that up because it's actually really cool and it's one of my favorite topics. <laughs> and if so, the answer is YAML, then I'm done. <laughs> no, no. So here's the thing that's really cool about step templates is you could literally just like create your own step template in the UI. So for example, I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to one of my step templates here. So let's say I go to one of my step templates, right? And my step template is to, I don't know, um, maybe deploy to a Docker container, right? So how could you deploy to a Docker container? Well, you got to do a few things. You got to do a Docker build on your Docker file. Uh, you have to do a push to some registry. Maybe you're using Azure container registries, right? And then you can deploy that Docker container to maybe AKS. Well, all of those steps like running Docker build, pulling in that Docker file, um, let's see what else, uh, pushing it to, to some sort of registry. Like you could literally write all of that out in PowerShell or in bash or whatever, if you want to and create the step template that way. And then you simply export it. And the default option to export it is JSON. And then that's how you push it up to the library and that's it. So you literally write your step template in like really whatever language you want. And then under the hood, nobody sees that code unless they really want to, you can, it's, it's open. Like you could literally go into a step template template and take a look at the code that's being used to create the step template and then everything else you can do via the UI. Um, another cool thing that's coming out that we're working on uh, is something called config as code. So your whole project, you'll be able to write in an HCL. Hmm. Yeah. Cool. So a so, few different options. So with this template, let, let's just say like I have maybe something unique that I want to do, but like I see another step template that's out there. Can I kind of like embed that in mine? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like you could literally, let's say you have three step templates. Um, and I've, I've never like personally put three step templates together, but it'll work if you really wanted to. You could literally take three step templates, take a look at how they're created. So like you would look at the code and see what code is being used. And then yeah, you could literally combine them and create your own step template. You could take 20 step templates and create your own step template if you wanted to. Cool. So I'm trying to think when uh, you know i was looking at the command line tool so so if we if we have a build process for mm -hmm. for the for the website for example and i guess right now i package it up in a docker container but that's kind of silly because it's really just an nginx docker container <laughs> it, it's really just files that i have so right. really like if i'm building that in using like github actions so should I, should I ultimately like use the packaging tool then to like package it into a zip and then have the build process, push it to Octopus deploy? Is that how I should kick it off? So you could do that. Another option is like you said, it's just a bunch of files that are being contained yeah. in Nginx, right? So yeah. for example, uh, is that code in GitHub? It is. Cool. So you could literally create an external feed to GitHub and just pull the code in from GitHub and that's it. Okay. Like you don't what, even have what to build it. is that under? Is that under triggers? Yeah. No, it's under, I'm going to get the exact place for you. Channels? Under, sorry. Uh, that's fine. Under library. So go under library and then go to external feeds. Oh, okay. And then you can create a new external feed. So you could click add feed okay. and then uh, under oh, feed yeah, type GitHub you have a whole bunch of different feed. options. Yep. And then we'll say get. Oh, and the really cool thing is like if you click on GitHub repository feed, you see how that API URL pops up for yep. you? If your project is public 
and not private. It is. You don't even have to put in any credentials. Like you could literally click save and test. And then once you click save and test, you like, you type in like whatever feed name you want. Okay. So I can Um, actually replace that URL there. No, don't replace URL. Just pick the, um, the specific feed. So for example, like, let's say like I, like my GitHub is admin turn DevOps and then slash like go web API. I could type in admin turn DevOps, uh, go web API. And then I could do a test against that. Because it says URL feed URL. I assume that's where I would paste in the, I don't, I don't change that away from API to github.com. Nope. You don't have to. Okay. You could, you could literally simply just like leave that as is. Cause that's literally just the API that it's hitting oh, and then I got underneath you. okay, your okay. projects. Yeah. And then underneath your project, like once you pick like, Hey, you want to do a pro you want to do a step with like an external feed, you would just then type in whatever external feed and that external feed would be like your repository, your GitHub repository. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, like you don't, and, and that's the other really, really cool thing about external feeds is the fact that you don't have to have like 10 different external feeds for 10 different repositories. Okay. You could literally have one feed and then just like pick whatever repository you want. And it doesn't even have to be your repository, like anything that's public, you can pull in. Okay. Okay. I like this. I like that it's like totally separated. Okay, cool. This is what I've wanted to do for a long time. <laughs> so nice. separate out these, these two things. So it always just felt icky to have them together. Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. Plus just storing like those keys and everything. Like it's really weird for the build process to have deployment keys. Right. Right. Yep. Yep. Okay. Um, and then I know one thing that we didn't really talk about. I mean, we talked about the cloud version because the cloud is awesome, but like, obviously there's tons of people I'm sure that run this thing on prem or whatever. Like what a lot of our customers. Yeah. Yeah. I figured there was probably a still a lot. So, so like what do those key scenarios look like there? So, Here's the way that I would explain it today. Uh, and I'm going to uh, emphasize the fact that, again, cloud, like having this cloud instance is still very new. Um, if you have a small workload that you want to run, definitely put it in Octopus Cloud. That's perfectly fine. If you have an extremely large deployment scenario, uh, like you got like 100 gigs worth of data or something like that, like something crazy, you definitely still want to run it on-prem. That triggered my dog again. I apologize. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's like I have every, a uh, every delivery is happening puppy. like right now. <laughs> so uh, I have a I have a five month old puppy, and I was doing a Kubernetes talk last week. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, like whenever I'm working or like on my phone or something, she gets upset. Yeah, she's like, "Pay attention to me." She literally came under my desk came like in between my legs up where I'm sitting and just started barking. And I'm like, dude, come on. Yeah. And I read something recently, you know, it's funny whenever, whenever a dog starts barking like that, everybody's just like, shut up, you know, stop it. Uh, like yelling at the dog. And then I read something online that made me realize how stupid that is because what the dog actually <laughs> hears is rrr, 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 rrr. like you're barking with them. And they're like, yeah, I was totally right. Like <laughs> go away. <laughs> no, it's so funny. Cause like, I don't know if like she gets like, she's a Victorian bulldog uh so she's like very very hyper right now yeah um because again she's like five months old and i don't know what the deal is but like let's say in the morning i'm like just like looking at my phone for example and i'm sitting on the couch and i'm not looking at her or like petting her she starts to do this thing where like it's not a cry and it's not a bark but it's like a dude like what are you doing like i'm right here (laughs) nice nice (laughs) so anyway okay so octopus deploy so where where is the cloud version hosted i mean it was like magically that's like SaaS software to me but where does that end up being hosted azure okay 
I like that. Good answer. That's the correct answer. Uh, (laughs) And then I mentioned that I'm using, I'm using this for free, which is amazing. But like, what is the pricing of this thing? You know, if I, if I go, go beyond, um, basically what, you know, the free limitations. Yeah. So it depends on your licenses and your deployment targets. So I'm literally going to go to octopus deploy right now. And then if you go to pricing, um, you'll be able to see like, uh, under cloud and under server, for example. So if you go under server, uh, right away, it says 10 targets are free, but let's just say I bumped it up to like 400 targets. It'll give you a price. Let's say you do like 25 targets. It'll give you a price. So for example, like 25 targets is 2,300 a year. If I go to a uh, hundred targets, it's 8,800 a year. And it gives you those prices like upfront. It, it doesn't give you that message. Like contact our sales team. Like now we're, we're very transparent. We literally just like give the prices right away. That's awesome. I, and I, I say, just go for the unlimited right away. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I just looked Whoever's at that listening, price just go for just go for the unlimited, everybody. <laughs> that's the best way to go. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, yeah, that's a little pricey for for unlimited, but um, but yeah, if you have that requirement, that's probably actually pretty yes. cheap. Because if you have two thousand targets, um, it's almost the same price. So <laughs> you're two, literally, you're yeah. two thousand targets. Just go for unlimited. That yep, way, you don't yep. have to worry about it. Exactly. Cool. Um, anything else you wanted to mention before we move on? No, I mean, I think that's pretty much it. And then the one thing that I do want to say is that if you're interested, if you go to octopus.com slash company slash roadmap, mm-hmm. this lets everybody know what we're really focused on for the year. Um, and that's obviously, you know, always up to date and stuff. Company slash roadmap. Uh, yeah. Octopus.com slash company slash roadmap. And there's a picture of an actual road map on there. Yeah. yeah. Yep. 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 Oh my God. And I didn't, I just thought that was like a hero graphic, but it's, it's literally like accurate. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You guys are so smart. <laughs> <laughs> I can't take the credit, but if you want to give me the credit, please feel free. To no, that is, that is, that is hilarious. <laughs> that is, that is really awesome. Okay. Very yeah. cool. Yeah, okay. That's so really cool. And then, um, obviously, you know, one of the other huge things is like as a developer advocate, um, you know, it's, it, it's funny, like my job is, uh, split up a little bit different from standard DevRel. Like, you know, half of it, I'm very much doing the advocacy where I'm speaking at conferences and I'm writing demos and stuff like that and speaking on podcasts like I am right now. And then the other half of it is still like very much development. Um, like I'm still creating products and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So it, please feel free to reach out to me. Um, you know, I'll definitely talk to you about anything anybody wants to talk about uh, related to Octopus or how Octopus ties into other things. And if you also want to talk about other technologies, like I can talk about Go for hours. So uh, feel free to reach out to me about that as well. Super cool. Super cool. Um, anything else you wanted to mention, Carl? I'm good. Okay. Well, let's close this out then. So uh, let's see here. So where where can people find you, Michael? Yeah, absolutely. So on Twitter, it's at the NJ DevOps guy. Okay. Uh, you can go to my website, clouddev.engineering. Uh, you could also go to my GitHub, which is admin turn DevOps. And uh, my LinkedIn is just Michael Levan if you want to reach out. Okay. Very cool. And Carl, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. And you can find me at ytechie.com or twitter.com slash ytechie. So Michael, thank you so much for coming on here and talking to us about Octopus Deploy. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. It was a pleasure. 